Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. How do you make an icon? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because when you, you look at brands that you like from the outside and you imagine that there must have been so much thought and work and study and customer feedback groups and, you know, I wish I, wish I could pretend that was the case. This is an invitation to meet David Abramovich, CEO of Grind. They're the coffee company that's made pink the colour for a drink more associated with brown. And in doing so... They're emerging out of a fiercely competitive market to become international players. What's great about Grind is that, it, that it's evolved and it genuinely has evolved from being something that I set up as a bit of fun in a single coffee shop to many more things. So grab yourself a coffee, freshly brewed, of course. This is a good one. Last year, Grind raised £22 million, which it's using to get into new markets like the US. That investor confidence came following an explosion of interest during lockdown. So when we meet David, I want to know how did a company founded on coffee shops, which all had to shut down during restrictions, manage to turn the pandemic into an opportunity? David, we've had this rather long-running pandemic now. Your company was set up a few years ahead of it. How have you got through this? Yeah, so we, we were founded in 2011. So we had, you know, eight or nine years of, of, of trade heading into the pandemic. Um, as we come out of it, the business looks very different. You know, we went into it a high street business that had evolved from coffee shops into coffee shops and cocktail bars into restaurants where we serve coffee and cocktails and breakfast, lunch and dinner. And over the years, the sites had got much bigger um, and, you know, we'd done much more in them. And we were, you know, very much rolling those out. We were about to go on site and fit one out on the South Bank. We had more in the pipeline. And then obviously COVID hits and overnight, you you literally, you know, I I spent the, the very last day, I remember it so well, walking around to every site as we as we packed up, just seeing all the teams, trying to reassure them. And yeah, you know, just a crazy experience that you never, you never imagine. You, you never imagine walking around as all of your sites closed through government order. You know, it's just not something that you, you, you possibly can ever plan for, especially when, you know, those things all trade seven days a week, pretty much 365 days a year. So there's so much a part of 
my life and the lives of the people who live around them, that to have them close and not be able to go to them for extended periods of time was was awful, really. But fortunately, we'd relatively recently competed, completed what at the time was our largest ever fundraise, which was a, a three and a half million pound Crowdcube raise. And we made a very conscious decision in the summer of 2019, just after that raise, to to redeploy one site's worth of money, kind of roughly, which which might be, you know, call it a million quid, into developing other coffee-related products that could be sold online. Um, so that meant investing in a new, bigger coffee roastery, building a, an e-commerce website, sorting out fulfillment, investing in product development, and all those kind of things. So, so we made a very conscious decision to do that in 2019, thankfully, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it was uh, clearly a good decision. Yeah, it sounds quite lucky in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think if you read anything that I've written or been interviewed for in the last year, that is the word that you'll see a lot lucky. Look, it was a, it was a really good decision taken by, you, you know, taken by myself and the board to, to, to invest that money. But the timing of it was really lucky. And even more so because you know, key bits of equipment arrived in February that enabled us to fully insource our, our production, which meant we could scale from March onwards. You know, we happened to get a couple of containers full of, of packaging through from China just in time. So luck played a huge part. Clearly luck did play a huge part, but maybe we're kind of underestimating what you did there because I think there's a lesson there about the importance of diversity in your revenue, isn't there? I mean, Grind started as just one little coffee shop, but you've expanded out and by doing so, you've protected your business. Yeah, and it's an interesting one because when I talk to people and try and help them with their business, I tell them to focus focus, focus, you know, the power of focus is huge. And, you know, trying to do too many things can be a distraction. And it's really important to focus. And that's kind of the opposite of the message to diversify. And yet, our diversification has in the end saved the business pretty much. So it's a difficult one. I think diversification is is really important. But I think it needs to be very strategic, like laser focused on one or two things. It needs to be obviously adjacent to what you're doing. You know, when when we work, start buying surfing machines, you, you go, that seems like a bit of a stretch. So I think it needs to be something that, that complements the other things that you do very directly. I think there are many lessons to be learned from the, the WeWork story. But one thing you guys did, so talking about focus there, is you started online selling what have become really quite famous beautifully designed coffee deliveries haven't you these pink uh pink uh, cans that you have out there i was really interested actually in why you chose that color i mean did you go through a whole process how much detail did you have to put into it actually again linking back to crowdcube it was our very first of three crowdcube raises back in 2015 that led us to the pink because we were given some free advertising space. Well, I think heavily discounted by JC Dassault and Crowdcube and ourselves. And we actually had, you know, huge posters in mainline rail stations, but we had to come up with something to put on the posters. And we didn't really have a colour. 
And we didn't really have a logo. We had like four or five logos. So we took the grind piece that was consistent in all of the logos and kind of put that on its own. And then we had one of our favorite photos at the time was, um, you know, we we were using marble in our sites. You know, everyone uses marble everywhere now. But like we, we started putting marble into our sites in 2012 or something, kind of at the beginning of the word Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But we were relatively early in doing that. And there was a great photo we had of a, one of our red cups, you know, like this here. I'm drinking out of one right now. Our red ceramic cups, which we've always used. And the light from one of our neon signs hitting, which was pink, hitting this red cup and casting like a pink shadow on the marble. And we were literally scratching our heads, playing with all different colours, all different backgrounds, myself and, and Ted, who's now our CMO. And he was there with the colour picker in Photoshop. And he literally just picked a bit of that pink out of, out of this photo and tried that. And we were like, yeah, that looks really cool. And then it stuck. And that came to be, be known as Millennial Pink. And lots of other people kind of jumped on that pink around a similar time. So, yeah, one of those one of those weird moments. I remember it vividly. Does that make you kind of, I, I guess, understand the importance of branding and iconography to a company then and how to stand out? Because you said there that you had all kinds of different things across there, but you've got that word grind. Now you've got this color scheme. People know as soon as they see it what that stands for. Yeah, look, I think, I think visual identity and, and brand identity is is incredibly important, probably even more so in businesses where you have a lot of competition and you're not that easily differentiated from the competition. So, you know, arguably Tesla could be, could be called 10 other different things and it wouldn't really matter because the product was so ahead of its time and so different that that was kind of all that mattered. But if you're competing in fashion or food or, or things where you know the spectrum of the the differentiation is is smaller i would say um particularly in, in things like food and restaurants you know that's one of the key tools that you have to communicate the differences in your brand and to set out what you do so yeah no i think it's i think it's really important also i've always been very clear that we had to be about quality first not brand first we design our stores to look great and we think about where you might be able to take a great photo. But there are there are now businesses out there which are kind of primarily designed as, as Instagram backdrops and then the, the quality of the food or drink or product all kind of come second or third to how does the space look. And I think at that point it's kind of form over function, which... I really don't like. Like, I think it should always be highly functional and super high quality before fall. You want a first-time visitor to become someone who comes back over and over again, don't you? And that's how you do it. The quality has yeah. to be there. No one is going to these places three times a week. People are going to our stores 10 times a week. You know, if you go stand in, you go stand in Soho Grind and, and, and nine out of 10 people in the queue don't even order because the staff know their face and know what they're having. So they just kind of walk up, have a chat, pay and walk out again without ever saying, can I have an oat flat white, please? Which is great, right? Like you, when, when you've got that many people coming back every single day, day after day after day, for sure the teams in those stores are doing a great job and doing something right if they keep coming back. I want to talk to you about crowdfunding. How important has that been for Grind? Yeah, it's been it's been hugely important, actually. Um, 
we've done three rounds. Uh, we did a we did a one point three million pound bond, which was which was debt, paying an eight percent uh, return. We paid that back in full a few years later, slightly ahead of schedule. That really, as I said, was a catalyst to making us the grind brand uh, rather than lots of slightly different brands. Back in 2015, no one really knew what Crowdcube was. Just the fact that we were doing crowdfunding was newsworthy back then, whereas obviously, you know, that's not newsworthy now that someone is doing a crowd round. Um, and we did a 2.1 million round in 2017 where we sold about 8 or 9% of the business and then 3.4 million round in 2019. So up until more recently where we did a very large transaction, that represented the majority of the money that we'd ever raised into the business. So we, we were primarily funded by the crowd, although we did also raise several million here and there from uh, from high net worth investors. But I, I think more than just the money, it's bought us, you know, 3,000 or so shareholders who are ambassadors and, and who who help grow the business and who help support us and give us feedback and throw their Christmas parties when well, when you're allowed to throw Christmas parties, um, you know, and do all of that, that stuff. And it's all part of building on this community of investors and regulars and now subscribers at home that all interact with the brand. So, you know, they've, they've been really pivotal moments over the years for us. And kind of what you don't see is that for six months or a year before you do the fundraise, you start talking about it and thinking about it and preparing for it and shooting the video, and then you do it. Those big raises are really like the bookends between the different chapters of the business. You know, the first the first chapter was, you know, mucking around credit cards, our own money. The second chapter began with the first Crowdcube raise, and then the real expansion started on the next one. And then the final one gave us the money to kind of split the business into the restaurants and the e-commerce business. So they've been really pivotal moments for us. Yeah, but as you said, you were one of the first ones to go into crowdfunding. Was that nerve-wracking for you at the time? Why did you think this is the right way for us to go? Do you know what? I think back then I was pretty young, I was pretty gung-ho. We didn't really do didn't really do nerve-wracking back then, to be honest. That 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 tends to come a bit later once you realise you're responsible for all of these people's money and on all of these employees and that kind of stuff. You know, back then it was more like, this sounds cool. Should we do it? Yeah, OK, let's do it. Uh, you know, and, and we we knew someone at Crowdcube and they said, yeah, actually, someone's just dropped out. We're supposed to have four big brands doing it together. Do you want to do it? But if you want to do it, you kind of you got to do the video and launch in three weeks. So it was we pulled it together really, really fast. And look, we, we were... We figured, I think the minimum raise on that was half a million. We figured that we'd get to that easily. If not, we could probably shake some people down and, and get friends and family to help us get there. And actually, it turned out to be a great success. So we didn't see it as a great risk at that stage. And it gave us some expansion capital and, and helped put us on the map. And it's not an easy option, is it? I mean, especially now when there's so much competition for crowdfunding and for, for people who are investing in, in crowdfunding. How do you stand out? How do you get people to go, this is the one I'm going to put my money on? I probably have one person a week ask me, how do you do crowdfunding? Can you help? Can you do that? Yeah, can you tell me about it? To the point where I've considered, I've considered recording myself answering the same question so I can just send it back to them. The first thing that I always say to people is do not think this is going to be easy. Do not take this for granted. Do not think that you put a video up on a web page and, and suddenly money just f 
flows you know, magically towards you. Isn't this fantastic? This is a marketing and investment campaign and you have to run it like a campaign. And of course, Crowdcube have a big audience. You know, the guys there are, are amazing. I know them very well now, obviously. They have a huge audience and, and they'll get behind you. And, and for sure, people will discover your brand via Crowdcube. But equally, you have to bring your audience to Crowdcube. The, the, the best people to invest in your business are the people that are already your customers. So what Crowdcube or, or other crowdfunding platforms do is provide a platform for them to become a part of the business and to back businesses that they like in a kind of transparent and simple way. Because clearly, clearly I couldn't go and just try and raise money from people in the queue in my in our locations, right? Like you can't go, you can't just walk around asking people for money. But having a campaign that you run and you set out all the terms and you put financial documents there and you do a video and other people do it, it kind of creates an environment in which they can invest relatively small amounts of money, but they can do so in a in a secure way. And that's really the power of it. But what, what you can't underestimate is that you have to bring your audience. And if you don't have an audience, then I would immediately say that's a problem and maybe crowdfunding is not for you. And I think you have to think about the kind of business as well. Like it suits some businesses much better than others, I think definitely time for a coffee. David's going to be speaking about crowdfunding at the Evening Standards SME event, which we're holding over two days at the Olympia London on May 25 and 26. For more details on that and how to get free tickets, go to smexpo.co.uk. That's smexpo.co.uk. We'll be back after the break. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Is Grind where it is now, where you'd always plan for it to be? Because, I mean, you, you took over your dad's mobile phone shop, you turned it into a, a coffee shop, you turned it into Grind. Was the plan always 
to make it something bigger than that. <laughs> um, it's funny that you say was the plan because that kind of implies that there was a plan. Um, <laughs> look, I think, no, not, not at all. I had, I had absolutely no idea we would, we would end up here. Um, I, I converted the, the phone shop as a bit of fun around a side project, as a side project around another business which I had at the time, which, which was my primary focus. I think, you know, I think when we did the first store, there were many decisions made with a view to doing a second store. So certainly I didn't necessarily, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that it was going to be possible to scale this, that meant putting tech in from the beginning and just thinking about, you know, how could we replicate this? But I had no idea it would take us on on the journey that it has has taken me on and certainly had no idea that we would end up flipping and becoming a D2C first business. You, you know, I mean, I remember back in 2019 saying, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could just do X in sales through the website next year and, you know, COVID hits and we're doing X in sales every week. You can't predict that kind of change, but we're obviously very grateful that um, everyone supported us and is enjoying our products at home and, and has allowed has allowed us to kind of crawl our, crawl our way out of the uh, of the pandemic. Yeah, lots of support. You know, you've talked about the crowdfunding. Now, you also mentioned that you felt responsibility for the quite large number of people that work for you now. Was there a moment when you realised, oh, this isn't just a, a side hustle anymore. This is this is something that I need to look after, not just for me, but for all of these other people. We had 350 staff members going into the pandemic. And during that week, you, you know, Boris came on TV and very helpfully on Monday said, you probably shouldn't go to restaurants. But it wasn't until Friday, 5pm that you had actually formally you can't go to restaurants and then you know then we we discovered the word furlough for the first time and and that was a that was a long week that week that monday to friday and lots of businesses and some really great businesses you know some sunday times best employer businesses were laying off hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of people that week and we didn't do that and i'm really pleased that we didn't you know we we said take a breath let's wait, we're going to support all of our staff. And we wrote to all of the staff and said, look, we're going to support you for at least X weeks guaranteed or X months, I can't remember, you know, a couple of months, I think it was, while we figure out what's going on here, while the dust settles on this whole thing. I remain really pleased and proud that we did that. You know, eventually we did have to make a small number of employees redundant, um, but that wasn't until six months or so until after the initial pandemic, when obviously the world looked much better. So, you know, look, I think it is a real responsibility, you know, having 10 people or, or a thousand people work for you. And I think you do have to take that really seriously. Yeah, you must have been glad when when the furloughed staff came back, actually. I was in one of the other interviews that we've got for this podcast, we were talking about the fears that it's really hard to get staff, particularly in the hospitality industry. Uh, that must have been a bit of a relief for you yeah it's incredibly hard um to, to find staff at the moment but i think we've we've dodged the worst of that because we retain people we retained most of our team throughout the whole pandemic and we did our absolute best to look after people and and you know top up furlough where we could and and, and do other things that we that we could to, to make to make it as smooth as it could possibly be for all of our staff and, and you know unfortunately i think they've repaid that loyalty by 
uh, loyalty to them by, by remaining really loyal to us and sticking with us and helping us rebuild. So it is a two-way street. You know, these are, these are people at the end of the day and how you treat them has a massive impact on, on how they treat you back. You know, looking at your website, there is a beautiful Nespresso grind machine that I'm definitely going to be purchasing or making my wife purchase for my birthday because <laughs> I like that. But what is the future for Grind? Are you looking at doing things like partnerships with other companies like them or where do you move on? Yeah, partnerships is a big part of it. So, you know, so Grind now has become about getting Grind Coffee into the homes of, you know, everyone we possibly can. A pink tin in every kitchen in our in our kind of addressable market is the aim now. And we're partnering with lots of brands to try and achieve that. The most notable uh, is Soho House. So we now supply the coffee to Soho House globally and you know, so across the US and Europe as well as the UK. And you'll find a pink tin in all of their hotel rooms. So that's helping us reach lots of new people all around the world, which is amazing. We're about to launch. We've just actually launched our European website. We're about to launch our US website and we'll be following up in those locations by, you know, taking our pink coffee trucks on tours around the US and hopefully later this year or next year starting to open our first European and uh, US stores. So, you know, we, we did a large fundraise last uh, last summer and really that was kind of starting again in a lot of ways, you know, starting our second decade, you know, it was almost exactly 10 years after founding the business. You know, I feel like we're back in year one now and we've got an established business on the high street in London, which is amazing. And we've got the seeds of a really exciting direct consumer business. So now it's all about taking that to the world. Just finally, are you still enjoying it? Yeah, do you know what? I'm, I'm enjoying it more than ever now, actually. Um, you know, it's really, for me personally, it's great now because we're getting to do all of the fun, fast growth, hustle that you do at the start. I'm getting to do that again now on the direct consumer arm but we've got the resources and the structure and the support of a much bigger business and a much more established brand. So it's kind of like, you know, launching a new division within an established brand is great, actually. I was everything at the start. Now we have a director of everything who's much better than I ever was at all of these things, um, which is great. That was an invitation to meet David Abramovich. How about you and I meet again next week? There's a new episode of this podcast available every Monday morning, but you can join us anytime you like. If you hit your follow or subscribe button, we'll leave the door open for you. This has been an invitation to meet. It was a pleasure to meet you. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.